Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. So if you guys have your Bibles, um, we're first going to read from Psalm 89, 1 through 18. So Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the sky above can compare with the Lord? Who like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea, with its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rehab like one of the slain, with your strong arms you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours, and the earth is also. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south, Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power, your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness can go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. The second reading tonight is from Colossians, which is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or power or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and him in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. Thanks, Rui. Thanks for reading. Uh, Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see you all. If we haven't met, I'm Simon. I'm the lead elder here at City Light North Adelaide. And uh, if you have joined us tonight, perhaps for the first time or you haven't been around for a while, we're in a two-week series uh, thinking about sort of vision, I guess you would call it, who we are as a church, Um, sort of thinking back to um, the past 12 months, how God has been kind to us and how he's grown us and shaped us and changed us, and then sort of thinking a little bit about what are we going to look like? What's next for us here as a community of believers here in North Adelaide? 
as we are an existing for God's glory. Um, normally, how we operate around here when we come to this time of the gathering, we, we, we have a sermon or a message, and uh, the traditional way that we work at City Light North Adelaide is that we work our way systematically through books of the Bible. Uh, and so, you know, we, we pick a Bible, a uh, book from the Bible, and we work through it sort of verse by verse, passage by passage. The last couple of weeks have not been exactly like that. As we dive into vision, we're sort of thinking um, a bit more sort of big picture um, not just sort of bound to one text. So a bit abnormal tonight, um, but you know we're back into next week. Um, I'm just going to pop up on the screen. Um, if you've been around for a little while, we've, uh, we started, um, we finished last year really with um, the first section of the book of Acts. Um, so Acts chapter 1 through to halfway through chapter 9. We've taken a break from there. We worked through a few other things. And now we're going to dive back into the book of Acts, uh, continuing our series called Unstoppable, How God Uses the Church to Change the World. And we're going to pick it up from chapter 9, verse 32 um, in the book of Acts. And then we're going to, this next little section goes for 12 weeks and we'll sort of end up into chapter 19. Uh, so we've still got most of 19, then through to 28 to kind of get through beginning of next year. So we're going to do it in, in stages so that we... Stay fresh in God's word through the book of Acts. So it's going to be fun. And in many ways, what we do when we jump into the book of Acts as of next week, we're just going to be reinforcing pretty much the things that we've been talking about as God's people in vision weeks, actually, as well. So there you go. Um, Last week, in terms of vision, um, we sort of talked about this. City Light Church North Adelaide is a community of Jesus Christ providing a centre of community for North Adelaide and beyond. The rest of it you don't really need to worry about tonight. But um, that's sort of our big idea. And last week we thought a lot about being community. What does it look like to be a community of God's people? And we're in 1 John chapter 1 and just into chapter 2. And we thought about um, being a community of God's people um, who are a centre of community for Jesus Christ means that we're all about Jesus. Our community, therefore, is built upon not ideas, but it's built upon the events around the life, the person, the work of Jesus Christ, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his rule and his reign and return. Um, that's what brings us together. And I talked last week about how that can bring kind of the weirdest people together uh, because we're not united by same ideas politically, philosophically. We're united by a person. Jesus Christ of Nazareth and all that he's done for us. So that's what unites us. That was our first thing. Secondly, um, when we actually, as we read the word, we realise that our greatest problem as human beings is not ignorance that we can overcome with, I don't know, more knowledge and textbooks and things like that. Our greatest problem is sin, um, our rebellion against God. And we realised that last week we can't overcome that ourselves. But what that does is it kind of kind of levels us all at the same level, right? And, and enables a community to emerge that is based on equality and compassion and sympathy and mercy towards one another because we recognise in each other what's in ourselves, that we're sinful people uh, in need of rescue. And the third thing we looked at then was God doesn't leave us in that place of hopelessness because of our sin being cut off from our Creator. God steps in in the person of His Son, Jesus, and atones for our sin makes a way for it to be cleaned off, wiped away through Jesus' death on the cross. And what that means for us as a community of God's people at North Adelaide and hopefully wherever Christians gather is that our standing with God is not based on our performance. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And what that means is that our community is not, you know, I talked last week about, we're not sort of some of us over here are high achievers and some of us down here are maybe failures and everyone's just in the else in the middle it means that we are united 
Sorry, guys. Yeah, we're united. Um, based, we come together, we stay together, we're brought together on the basis of Jesus' work, not our own performance. And that has a transforming effect of what it looks like to be a community of God's people. That's what we looked at last week. Today, we're thinking about uh, Jesus and mission. That's what we're going to think about tonight. So as we dive into God's word, um, let me pray as we do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. And we praise you especially tonight for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for his sinlessness, his perfection. Uh, Father, thank you for his willingness to lay down his life for us. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus we can be completely secure both now and forevermore, um, safe in him because of all that he is and all that he's done for us. And so we pray tonight that by your spirit and through your word, we would see, hear and love Jesus. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Australians like big things. Who here likes big things? Come on. You're Australians. Yep, we all like big things. Like We like big things. Australia is a big country. I worked out that Australia was a big country when I had to drive from Adelaide to Perth one time with my family. It took the best part of a week to get to Perth in the car. Australians are also big people. Statistically, we are getting taller and we are getting a little heavier. And the way that we operate around here in North Adelaide is that um, we have fortnightly dinners. That's probably not helping that process very much. And we also, at my DG at least, have a lot of donuts. I think that's actually increasing the heaviness, at least. Um, Australians like big things. We like big cars. We like big Macs. Uh, we like big meals. We like big holidays. And when we're on holidays, we like to look at big things. And big things are all over the place, right? So um, the big lobster in Kingston, southeast. We have the big trout. We've got the big banana in Coffs, the big potato, the big oyster. Um, Rambo, the big merino in Goulburn, New South Wales. And I'm really sad to say that it used to be that in the southern highlands of New South Wales there was a big pavlova, but that's gone. I don't know who ate it, but so on, right? When we go on holidays, right, when I go on holidays, I, I think I'm a bit of a super tourist, right? So I like seeing all the big things, and I reckon I've seen a fair few of them. And so you can imagine my excitement one, night, uh, one day when I discovered you can see four big things on one stretch of road on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. So on this one day, I got to see the big pineapple, uh, the big cow, and the big tractor, uh, the big mower, and because we took a wrong turn, I got also to see the big strawberry. It was a wonderful day. Now, no doubt, right, you're running through in the back of your head is like, all the, what's your favourite big thing? I don't know what your favourite big thing is. But Australians like to do it big. BHP is the big Australian. Our cities are the big smoke. And it used to be a little while ago, Australia had the biggest hole in the ozone layer. It was wonderful. We like to boast... We like to boast about having the biggest this and the biggest kind of that. And I remember even when I was at Bible college, right, we used to boast about stuff. Um, this is in Sydney. We used to boast about at Moore College having the big, this is so geeky, the biggest theological library in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow, isn't that cool? Which, given the fierce competition from Antarctica, was quite an achievement, I thought, for us. We like it big. The bigger, the better. And I don't think it's just an Australian characteristic. I think it's kind of universal, except when it comes to Jesus and God. Most people, it seems, in Australia, in Adelaide, don't have a big God or a big Jesus. Certainly not big enough, at least, to warrant serious attention and study and, serious, and, not a, and certainly not big enough to worship, like demand worship or praise. 
And you know what? I don't think it's just a problem kind of out there in our broader communities and suburbs and workplaces and universities in Adelaide. I think sometimes it impacts our churches from time to time, maybe our church. There was a book written by an old guy called J.B. Phillips um, who wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. And I wonder if that rings true for many of us even today, that, that our Jesus is too small. And, and perhaps as we think about vision, as we think about who we are, sometimes maybe our, our lack of energy or the lack of inertia or sometimes our lack of motivation or enthusiasm, perhaps our lack of kind of confidence and assurance, and many of our problems stem from the fact that our God is too small, our Jesus is too small. So maybe Australians, maybe many of us living in Adelaide, maybe all of us tonight, need to hear afresh Paul's picture of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. Because in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus paints a picture of a big Jesus. Paul, the apostle, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road. We find out about that in the book of Acts. He bumped into Jesus. Paul wasn't a lover of Christians at all. He was a killer of Christians. Bumps into Jesus, radically changed his life. He writes this letter to a bunch of Gentile, non-Jew, largely believers, living in the city of Colossae in the first century, AD, about AD 60. He tells them about a big Jesus. He reminds them of just how massive he is. Just hear a few things of what Paul says. They're going to pop up on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him, verse 16. Verse 17, he, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, in him, so that in everything he might have the supremacy Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And finally, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I know, it's hard to miss the point, yeah? Paul claims a message of absolute relevance to every person in every nation in every era. This obviously includes the Colossian Christians together with their pagan neighbours living in the first century. This includes all of us here tonight, together with your family, your friends, your colleagues, your barista, who you get your coffee from, or even the casual acquaintances you have, and even all the people you've walked past just getting to church tonight, Jesus matters to them, because all things are about Jesus. And I, wonder, I think we should let that just sort of sink in for a minute. Jesus is relevant to every one of us. And to every single thing, every rock, every frog, every insect, every person, Jesus has relevance. Um, Abraham Kuyper, he was a theologian, a pastor, actually found himself as the Prime Minister of the Netherlands at one point in his life, says this, No single piece of our mental world is to be sealed off from the rest, and there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. H.G. Wells, the sci-fi novelist, says this, I am an historian, I am not a believer, but this penniless preacher from Nazareth, Nazareth is irrevocably the very centre of history. T.S. Eliot, 
another writer who became a Christian later in his life, said that Jesus is, quote, the still point of a turning world. Jesus is at the centre of our world. He is the still point of a turning world. Jesus is concerned for every aspect of life, every creature, every life. He is Lord. And that's what we, and this is the Jesus whom we hold at the centre of our fellowship, the centre of all that we do. We exist for his glory, for his fame, for his renown. So what does it mean? What does it mean and how is that connected to mission? Well, we're going to explore tonight through three key things. There is no place on earth where Jesus is irrelevant. We're going to think about Jesus is supreme over all things. Jesus will reconcile all things and therefore Jesus is who we live for and proclaim. He's the one who we're on mission all about. So firstly, Jesus is supreme over all things. I don't know. When Ruth read it out just before, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, I hope you have it open in front of you. Um, I don't know if you thought, wow, that sounds pretty impressive. That wouldn't be a bad kind of curriculum vitae or resume to have, right? You know, wouldn't it be great? Um, I don't know. If you had all that Jesus is talked about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following, you'd go, wow, that's pretty good to have on my application form. Now, this, what I'm about to do now could be a bit fatuous, could be a bit silly. You can talk to me about that over dinner tonight. But imagine if there was this scenario, right, where you could interview Jesus Christ, and you're interviewing Jesus to, start to find out, could he be Lord of your life? That's what you're there. So you've got him in front of you, right? Bit fatuous, bit silly, but just go with me on this one. So you ask Jesus, right? So Jesus, what do you think qualifies you to be Lord of my life, to oversee all the comings and goings of me? And maybe Jesus says, well, thanks for asking. I was hoping you would ask that because, well, I think I've got a good answer to that. Um, here we, let's start with this one. I made everything there is in the entire universe. And I made it, and you know what? I own everything in the universe. I sustain everything that there is in this world. And not to get too personal too quickly, but I made you as well. And I actually made you to worship me. And I actually, I keep your heart going. That heart in you that beats after one, after the other, after the other, about 60 times a minute. I made that. I keep it beating. The air that you're breathing right now, I made that too. And I made the lungs that you're breathing it with. I made everything. I don't know. I think I'm a good choice to be Lord of your life. Now, it's a bit of a fatuous scenario, right? It's a bit silly. But Jesus' CV is unparalleled. To state the obvious... These are extraordinary claims. 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this former carpenter from Nazareth, what he was teaching his followers is now the teaching that this church is receiving that Jesus was God, fully divine, fully man, but the ruler of all. Take a look at all the detail. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. Jesus isn't just a copy. He's not just a copy of the Father of God who's been around forever. You know, it's not like the image of the queen that you might have on a dodgy tea towel in your kitchen. I don't know, like not just a copy or an image. Not just an image or a copy, but the exact representation. Or as we're told a little later in the letter, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, verse 19. Not just a copy, but he shares the reality of who God is. 
He is, verse 15, the firstborn over all creation. Now, when we read that, firstborn over all creation, it doesn't mean kind of birth order, you might think that, because Jesus is uncreated. But rather it means he is supreme over creation. So King David, right, in the psalm, we had a psalm read out tonight, Psalm 89. King David, one of the great kings of God's people, in the, altar, in, in the, in the psalms, he's often described as the firstborn over Israel. Now, that doesn't mean he was the first Israelite, God's original people, the first Israelite ever born. It means that he was king over Israel, that the nation, it's a title, Psalm 89. The emphasis here is that Jesus rules over all things, everything. I mean, check out the three prepositions with me. Verse 16, by him all things were made. End of 16, for in him all things exist. Everything was made for the glory of Jesus Christ, everything. And verse 17, in him all things hold together. And when, when, the, when Paul writes, all things hold together, it's not kind of this reactive, oh my gosh, everything's like you know, falling apart, I've got to get the sellotape out or the, you know, the scotch tape and bind it all back together so it doesn't fall apart. What, what Paul's saying here is, no, Jesus is sovereignly sustaining everything. Every star in the sky, every cell in your body, he sustains everything second by second by second. By him, for him, and in him all things. So verse 16 and 17 again. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Implication, reality, Jesus is big. He's massive. He's across everything. He, is, he made you. He sustains you. He sustains everything. And therefore, the implication is you can trust him. You know, there's no need to be afraid. There's no need to fear or be scared. When we feel vulnerable, often we feel vulnerable. We have Jesus. In him, you are secure. You have the creator. You know, Paul writes there about you know, how all things, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, he, he is over all those things, those things that might cause us to be scared or to fear or to feel vulnerable. If you're in him, he is shielding you, your creator. And in addition, Christ stands at the beginning of the universe and at the end of the universe. And I don't know, we're somewhere in the middle. It's all his though, and we're created to live for him. We've got to live for him. And the reality is, right, of course, we can... We can live our lives with, with Jesus in our pockets and occasionally pull him out and, you know, talk about him, maybe worship him and then put him back in. But I reckon it's a waste. We can live our lives with our own vision, our own desires and our own dreams, but I think that's a waste as well because we are made for more than that. We're made to live for Jesus. So live for him. He is supreme over all things, you can trust him. And secondly, and flowing on from that, um, Jesus is supreme over all things. Secondly, he will reconcile all things. So verse 18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus is, we learnt this before, Jesus is firstborn over all creation. And here we're told that Jesus is the firstborn over the new creation. Not just that Jesus was the first person in real time, real history and real space to really overcome death by rising from the grave. That's true. But Jesus is supreme over the resurrected life, the new creation, what we long for. Um, And I suppose, though, you, you could read verses 15 and 18 and go, wow, Jesus made everything, he rules everything, he sustains everything, all of creation, he he sustains and he's over the new creation that we live for, wow. And then you read verse 18 and read, he's the head of the church, the body, and you go, oh, that seems less impressive. In my opinion, the church is much less impressive than the world, to be honest. I mean, take a look around you, like literally look around at each other. Do you feel like we're as impressive as the rest of the world? I think you look great, by the way. But there's a sense in which you can go from the heights of Jesus and he's over everything and he created everything and you look around and go, oh, he's the head of the church? That's, that's what's going on there. But I was struck by one little sentence that I read in a commentary which said this, Christ can produce the world with a word but it needed his own incarnation and death to produce the church, a church of reconciled sinners. Christ can produce the world with a word, but it needed his own incarnation and death to produce the church, a church of reconciled sinners. That that made me pause. It's staggering to think, isn't it? The extraordinary wonders we see in the world all around us. Jesus created all those things with a word. But the church, people like you and me, rescued, redeemed, reconciled sinners, that took Jesus coming into the world and dying for us. His death on an old wooden cross 2,000 years ago. That's what it took. The reality is, right, Jesus dying on the cross coming into the world to save sinners like you and me, to create the church. The reality of today is that we are the apple of God's eye, his redeemed sinners, his redeemed children. We are the apple of his eye. The church actually is the the centre of God's purposes for the world. Can you believe that? We We had our family meeting yesterday in our backyard in Prospect. About 25 of us got together to think about how God has been faithful to us in the past 12 months and think about what's ahead. And, you know, they were setting up for the Adelaide Crows to play down the road here, you know, putting the flags out and sweeping the seats and putting hot chips on and selling them at way, way over, you know, inflated prices. And there we are just eating a bit of potluck lunch. And, but as we sat there, I was just reminded of this is the, the pointy edge of God's mission in the world, his church. I mean, our backyard, it's not overly impressive, and the people that gathered, they're a bit more impressive than our backyard. But like reality is, right, we are. God looks upon us in our backyard and says, I love those people. I died for those people. And I'm going to use those people to make my gospel known, even though it felt, you know, like that was a hard road to head down. But you know what I mean? Like it was amazing. The church is the centre of God's purposes in the world. We've got to believe that. 
How is it that Jesus is the head of the church? Paul tells us in verse 19. He's the head of the church that in all things he might have supremacy. For God, verse 19, it says, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a strong phrase, right? All his fullness. There is nothing that God the Father has that Christ the Son did not have. You see Jesus, you see the Father. You you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you see Jesus majestic and beautiful and compassionate. You see him mercifully loving sinners. You see Jesus really giving it to the falsely pious people, the Pharisees and the church leaders of the day who are praying on people rather than praying for the people. You see Jesus laying down his life, displaying for us servant love, which, by the way, every CEO would love to be like him. You know, like it's just like it's the new way. Holy, set apart, beautiful and pure. You see Jesus, you see the Father. All of his fullness was there. And that was necessary because it had to be God himself in the person of his son in order to reconcile a broken world to himself. And I love that phrase in verse 19, for God was pleased. Pleased. Isn't that wonderful? He was pleased to do it that. I think often we think of God as ogre in the sky who's reluctant to shower us with any kind of blessings unless we're perfect, God is pleased. You know, we read in Hebrews, it was the joy set before Jesus for him to come into the world and lay down his life. God is not reluctant. God's never been reluctant to save sinners. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the middle of the chaos of the fall as we turn our back on God, in the middle of the mess, God makes this wonderful promise. I'm going to send one born of a woman to crush the head of the serpent, to deal with sin and rebellion once and for all. In the middle of the mess, God makes his promise. He's not reluctant. He was pleased. No resistance. He was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. How? Well, peace between God and his creation, peace between God and you and me, was made through Jesus' blood shed for us on the old wooden cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. His life for our lives. Now some of us, I don't know, maybe you're sitting here going, well, I, I don't like that very much. Jesus being supreme over all things, it sounds really exclusive, it sounds a bit divisive, it sounds, I don't know, supreme power never sounds like a good thing. You know, supreme rulers, I know my history, Simon, supreme rulers, right? Pol Pot, you know, Mussolini, Hitler, whatever you want to call they're often nasty dictators. We know our history. You know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So supreme power doesn't sound very good to me. But do you notice how Jesus uses his power? The wonderful thing about our God, the wonderful thing about Jesus is he uses his power to serve. He uses it for us. Jesus has supremacy over all things. He has all the power. And how does he use it? Verse 19, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or things on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
He uses his supremacy, he uses his power to save people who rejected him, to save his enemies. Jesus uses his power for good. And so I want to to encourage you tonight, if you're here tonight and you're not yet trusting this Jesus, he was pleased to die for you. He was pleased to rescue you and to please to shed his blood for you so that you could be right with him both now and forevermore. I want to encourage, I want to say, stop the rebellion. Stop rebelliously, begrudgingly not coming to him. Because he's used his supremacy, his power to save and serve. Remarkable kindness. We need to be clear though, this peace isn't just an automatic peace. Jesus dies on the cross, everything is fine and everything, everyone is okay with God. That's not how it works. We have a choice. We either freely accept this peace of Jesus or we will have it imposed upon us when he returns, the next great event in world history. There will be peace. Revelation 21 paints this wonderful picture of peace when Jesus returns, the new heavens and the new earth will come together and be formed and God will be with us and we will enjoy him forever. But we have a responsibility as his creatures to stop the rebellion and to turn to him and trust him. And say, thank you for saving me. Thanks for your blood shed on the cross. I trust you as king. And I take it based on this part of God's word and the sweep of scripture, that there is not a single part of God's universe that is not impacted by the cross. No rock, no mountain, no stream, no insect, no frog, no goat, no country, no city, no suburb, no person unaffected by the cross of Jesus. There is no place on earth where Calvary is irrelevant. And that's why we at City Light Church North Adelaide can keep talking about Jesus and his cross forever. Because there is no part on planet earth where Calvary is irrelevant. Through that central cosmic event in history, Jesus' death and resurrection, the whole of creation will be remade and restored. Jesus is supreme over all things. Jesus will reconcile to himself all things now and in the future. And then thirdly, Jesus is who we live for and Jesus is who we proclaim at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Jesus is the one... We, in the power of the Spirit, hold on to. And he is the one whom, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we hold out to the world. Because Jesus is for everyone, everywhere, in every era. And so we go on mission. With the gospel. Sharing the good news with the people around us, wherever we are. So they too can find meaning and purpose that is located in him, the person of Jesus. We we hold out the gospel because it's in the gospel where we find meaning, where we find a purpose that cannot be destroyed by death. And I love this from N.T. Wright, Christian theologian, in his book Simply Christian. He writes this, When Jesus rose again, God's whole new creation emerged from the tomb, introducing a world full of new potential and possibility. Indeed, precisely because part of that new possibility is for human beings themselves to be revived and renewed, the resurrection of Jesus does not leave us passive, helpless spectators. We find ourselves lifted up, 
set on our feet, given new breath in our lungs and commissioned to go and make new creation happen. But I love those pictures, right? We get to, because of Jesus' resurrection, revived, renewed, we get to make the new creation happen in concert with God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this picture that with the things that we do, the way that God has wired us, the, the, the talents we have, God uses those to build for God's kingdom. I love that. We can all find our part in the mission of God and we, our work matters, our lives matters, our homes matters, our friendships, they matter, our hobbies, they matter as we weave together in concert with God, building for God's kingdom. And as we step out in mission, the, the great phrase for me, the great text from the Bible is the Great Commission where Jesus says, as you go, this is following Jesus' death, his resurrection, he's about to ascend to the right hand of God to pour out his spirit. He says, as you go, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. One of the, uh, one of the churches that I have worked at in the past, um, this was the stained glass window that was up the back of the church. So imagine like you're facing that window, that window is kind of there. Um, and this was the stained glass window. And this church was built in 1848, and uh, it was right around these wonderful stained glass windows. And if you're anything like me, I don't really appreciate stained glass windows very much. And so I was there for several years, and they were there, and I was like, oh, stained glass windows, they're a bit, they're a bit old school, a bit antique, you know, I want something fresher, you know. But I, didn't, I mean, I don't, it's not like I didn't like them, I just didn't really take much notice of them. And yet... I was sitting in the church one afternoon staring at this back wall and realised it's actually, you probably can't see it from where you are, it's a depiction of that verse, the Great Commission. Jesus is surrounded by his bunch of disciples. He's about to ascend to the right hand of God. And he gives them this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And I, was, I stared at that wall for a long time and went, oh, it's the Great Commission. I now love that, that window. And the other ones are pretty cool too. But um, what I realised is, you know, 1848, that church is built and we think, oh, you know, old buildings, probably not a lot of thought and they're a bit daggy, whatever, I don't know. And, and yet I think a lot of thought and reason went into why that window was placed where it was. Because if you imagine, right, you're sitting there Sunday after Sunday staring, you know, like getting bored of the preacher speaking forever and yet you're staring at that window and what are you seeing? You're seeing Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and as you go, make disciples. Share the good news to the ends of the earth, and I'll be with you. You know, and, and I think the idea is that as you looked at that window, outside on the other side of that window are people who are not right with God, and we have the message of salvation. Let's go and tell them through that window. Through that window was a broken world. You know, they desperately needed the hope of the gospel and the restoration that God will ultimately bring. Through that window are people across the other side of the earth who are being traded as sex objects. Let's get out there and bring justice to those people. Like, you know, we could go on. There's a reminder, week after week, that beyond that window is a world desperately in need of Christ. And not just in the suburb, but beyond to the ends of the earth. And we may not have a pretty stained glass window behind me. And you might be going, I wish we did because you don't look very nice, Jacko. No, but 
I mean, we, we praise God actually yesterday at the family meeting for this black piece of fabric so that your eyes don't go all balmy when you're looking at those, you know, silver things. We don't have a stained glass window, but we've got a mission, right? We've got a mission to share the good news of Jesus in word and deed, to proclaim that we have news that can restore broken relationships with God and broken relationships with one another. We have a mission. We've got a mission that is local and we're part of a mission that's global. Our, our local mission, I think there's a slide coming up, maybe a couple more. Oh, no, go back. Here, yeah, there we go. Local mission. We've got 150,000 people living in a 10-minute drive of our current location. I don't know if you notice on the bottom sort of left of that splattered bit of the red, Glenelg's not included in that, so they're okay. We don't have to reach where a city like Glenelg is doing their ministry. They're safe. And Port Adelaide's okay too. 150,000 people living in a 10-minute radius. 80 to 90% is my estimation of those people living in that 10-minute radius aren't connected to a Bible-believing church. There's probably only about 15 Bible-believing churches in that area. Most of those people, most people in that area aren't connected to Christ. And most of them, as far as I can determine, don't have a working or genuine understanding of the basics of the gospel. I think I've jumped the gun, but Leslie Newbigin says this, every church, however small and weak, ought to have some share in the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I've been thinking about that quote. I think it's a great quote. Every church, however small and weak, ought to have some share in the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, I've been reflecting on that quote in light of our church. I don't think we're a weak church here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. At the family meeting yesterday, we were caused to just give thanks to God for all the various people who are serving in the ministries that we have, all that he's done through us despite struggles and kind of internal and external kind of struggles and issues. We're not weak. We have a solid community here, I reckon. We have structures in place to live out what Paul says and later in the, book of Col- in the letter of Colossians. Just as you've received Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We have structures in our church to help us to live that out. Our weekly Sunday gatherings, they'll build you up. They'll strengthen you in the faith. They'll cause you hopefully to be overflowing in thankfulness. We have every week our discipleship groups that meet in houses, two in the south, two in the north, where we together gather together as God's people around his word and the power of the spirit to build each other up, to be strengthened in the faith. We have those things. We're not weak. Of course, we could be stronger, I reckon. That'd be great. Nor are we a stingy church. I actually think we're a really generous church. We shared yesterday about the, we've seen giving just increasing, financial giving increasing over the life of this church. And not that money is an indication necessarily of the health of our church, but we've got, as more people have joined, our giving has gone up. We're aiming this financial year to raise $140,000, not just to kind of go, hey, look how good we are, but to do ministry, to share the good news grow people in their faith in Jesus and to connect people to faith in Jesus. We're not a weak church. I don't think we're a stingy church. We're a generous church, but we're a small church. 70 adults, maybe thereabouts, a handful of kids. Most of them are the noisy ones of mine. And, uh, but I reckon one of the challenges for us, we're small. We need increased participation. 
our philosophy of ministry here is that, you know, we're not, you know, a lead pastor-led church. We're a church led by a plurality of elders, but people serving. We see that, but we could grow in that. And as more people step up and get serving, I think we'll have less individual busyness where a small group of people are kind of flat out and some of them aren't. We need increased participation. There's copies of this, sort of our vision statement and some information about the church copies up the back as you head out. And you'll read in there ministry updates from the, the key areas of ministry in our church. I want you to read that, perhaps pray about it and maybe find where you could be serving. Contact the people as you're able to. We're a small church, but we're small, and that's our philosophy, right? We don't want to just grow a mega church here in North Adelaide. We're actually about church planting, multiplying ourselves. There's great evidence to say that as you plant more churches, more people come. And so we want to be a church where you can be known and where you can know others. We want to be welcoming. We want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay, but a place where people can come and sit under the sound teaching of the gospel, be caused to see and hear and love Jesus, and then live out transformed lives. So what does it look like for us locally? I think one of our key areas of growth is families ministry. There are hundreds and hundreds of families living in our mission zone. That's adults with dependents, heaps of them. We've got students. Um, there's, you know, just over the other side of the Torrens River are thousands of university students studying, and then a whole bunch of them live just around us here in tertiary university residential colleges. We can, we can reach them. It's a real opportunity. We're in there a little bit with our Red Frogs ministry, but I reckon it would be great if the Lord just opened those doors and we could go into Aquinas and to Lincoln and to all of them. It would be great. I think we've got an opportunity to raise the profile. We were sharing yesterday how, um, I don't know, I often think, oh, yeah, everyone in North Adelaide knows about City City Light Church North Adelaide. Everyone does. Probably no one does, really, apart from us. Thanks for coming. Um, (laughs) But we've got to raise our profile. More letterbox drops. We're we're developing a new website. It's going to cost us about $2,500. That's underway. We feel like that's a great way. People don't look up the yellow pages anymore. Maybe some of us do, but no one does really anymore. People find things through the internet and we want to have a presence there where people can find us and find Christ. So we've got a website on the way. Profile raising. And missional innovation. Um, the church is not about me. The lead pastor, it's not just about our elders. I want us to be thinking together, what missionally innovative things can we be doing as individuals and as small groups and as a church to reach people with the good news of Jesus? That's local, right? Global, global are two really key things, right? Um, our global mission, um, there's so much need around the world, we only have limited resources, but the two key things are these. One is compassion. We, as a network of churches, as a family of churches, support Compassion International, a movement around the world seeking to um, bring children out of poverty in the name of Jesus. And many of us in our church sponsor children individually through Compassion. Recently, I was in the Philippines. We're going to share about this in a couple of weeks. Recently, I was there and I was standing in a church and I was looking out the window and I saw the ocean. I just praise God for the way that his gospel has reached the thousands of islands that form the nation of the Philippines. And people in front of me are loving Jesus, living for Jesus, and lives being transformed by Jesus. So that's one of our big partners. But as as a church, we're connected to this thing called Acts 29, 
you know your Bible well, you're going, Acts 29, where's that? There's only 28 chapters. You're right. But Acts 29 is kind of like, what's the next thing? And Acts 29 is a global church planting network. Wonderfully, um, Don, one of our our lead elders down at Glenelg, shared the other night, we've got 800 churches across the world in the Acts 29 network. The desire is to plant another 200, reach 1,000. It's not about numbers, but we want to see churches planted and people connected to Jesus. But one of the, the, the cool things that he shared, and, I, and we see in Acts 29, are these three things. The development of a rural collective, planting churches in rural parts of the world, even Australia. Secondly, church in hard places, reaching people and people groups around the world where people are living in serious poverty, where, where people are living in areas where education is not as well, you know, kind of promoted and accessible. Uh, living in places where crime is high, all around the world. There's a family um, kind of with a connection to City Light um, who are, have planted a church in like a housing commission, if, you know, SA, a housing trust, in a housing commission part of New South Wales, in the north of New South Wales. And in that, that's the, the highest density housing commission suburb in all of New South Wales. And a, a couple have decided to plant into that community and they've committed to be there for 30 years to see the gospel grow. It's a place where no one drinks espresso coffee, so they're drinking instant, and no one drinks craft beer, so they're, they're drinking Tui's New or something like that. I don't know. Um, but they've chosen that, right? It's, that's a massive work of the gospel, I think, to not be able to ever drink espresso coffee and a good beer. But anyway, they're doing that for the good of the gospel. They've moved in there. And the other thing I love, and that's in our country, the other thing I love is the Muslim-majority nations ministry, where men and women are leading churches together in places where the gospel is hardly even known, and actually where you probably can't even access it. And I want to introduce you to a guy called Karem. We're going to watch a video now. It's about four minutes. And Karem, as you watch this, um, he was saved by the gospel through the preaching of the gospel by people from South Australia. So a couple in South Australia shared the gospel with Karem. Karem became a Christian. And now let's see what Karem's up to. It's a wonderful. We are not even minority. We are dust. We are nobody in Turkey. As soon as they learn that you're a Christian, it puts you in a hard situation. One thing that we know that's the Christians will be suffered if they want to come to church, if they want to read the Bible, you are going to suffer in this land. Who am I to follow the steps of Paul after he left? That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about me, it's about him, it's about Christ. He's looking, man is like me, just nobody, just a dust and Lord, take it, and I said, I'm going to use you for my glory. Merhaba, benim adım Kerem Koç, Antalya Protestan Kilisesi'nin pastörüyüm, evliyim. İki çocuğum var, eşimin adı Buse, iki oğlum var, Josaya ve David Kuzey. Burada Antalya'da pastörlük yapmaktayım. There are about 80 millions of people in Turkey and only 4,000 Christians. And so that makes the Turkey as the largest unreached nation per capita. And most people in Turkey, this is, this is no joke, like literally, they would think that they cannot grow up and say that, you know what, I decide to be Buddhist. 
I decide to be atheist, I decide to be Christian. They don't know they have that right, actually. Because of the mindset of people are set so much that the Turkness are related with the Islam, that's our identity. We knew that we wanted to start a church. Antalya is so big, there's only one church, I thought that there needs to be many, many more churches. So we basically started our church plant with that heart. Uh, five years ago, we started to get together. The goal when we get started to get together, start to open an art gallery so that we could invite people to our art gallery um, and then share the gospel with them um, and use the space in the Sundays for the worship. But first two Sundays, there was like enough people were coming. So we thought, let's skip the art gallery and just preach the gospel, you know? And, and it worked, so Lord really blessed us, you know. When you built not on people and their skills and their ideas and their plans, but built on Christ and everybody looks at Him, the church flourishes. When we are seeing that people come to Christ, they're saying that they have been saved by the grace, grace alone, and that you see in their eyes that this is their life now. They wanted to change. They wanted to live faithfully. They wanted to serve to Christ. They wanted to preach the gospel. It's just, it's amazing. Well, what would be more bigger blessing to us than seeing those people's lives changing? I'm really excited about X2 and United has the same passion that we have. This is why we become the X2 and the Nine Church, and so that we can reach leaders and pastors and young people around the Turkey, and uh, teach them, educate them, counsel them, help them out, uh, support them, and send them to the to the cities where there there is no church existed. İman yoluyla lütufla kurtuldunuz. Bu sizin başarınız değil, Tanrı'nın armağanıdır. Kimsenin övünmemesi için iyi işlerin ödülü değildir. Amen. It's pretty cool. Uh, Karam, who heard the gospel from a couple of people who lived here in Adelaide, he's now planted his church in Turkey under the Lord and in a place where there are 80 million people living and only 4,000 Christians. I showed that to Adele the other night and Adele goes, oh, can we go to Turkey? Can we plant a church? So if we go, it's her fault. There we go. Um, what an opportunity. And, and I was just thinking the other night, like, um, how can we as a church um, do mission locally, make Jesus known locally, but perhaps partner with something bigger? And this is an unformed thought, and you can feed back to me, but I wonder how great it would be if we could partner with one of these Acts 29 church plants in one of those particular areas, whether it's a rural collective church or a church in hard places or a Muslim-majority nation church plants and, and what it would look like. And that's a formative thought. I don't know where that could go, but uh, there's such need around the world. And I'm, I'm convinced that God is a global God. He's, a, he's on mission to reach every nation. There are thousands of unreached people groups in our world, and we could be part of that work of God by partnering financially and prayerfully and maybe even going from time to time. That's, I'm just putting that on the table as an idea something we could pray about and think about. But tonight, when we wrap up, we need a big Jesus as we step out in mission as a church here at church uh, at City Light, North Adelaide. 
We need a big Jesus individually as we just confront our own mission as we go back to our workplaces tomorrow, our university tutor groups, wherever that might be, our homes. We need a big Jesus as a church. And, and we need to remember who Jesus is and have expectations of what he can do. I often find that my expectations of Jesus aren't big enough. Um, that's me. And I'm, remember, I'm actually regularly reminded um, by my kids that, that kids actually have a massive expectation of their parents. Um, and it reminds me that perhaps I should have a massive expectation of God and Jesus. Um, I was chatting to a, uh, someone the other day and my son Sebastian said to his little friend who was at school, he said, oh, guess what? My dad can lift up my whole house. <laughs> and I looked, at, I looked at Sebastian and said, what, like, what are you on about? And this guy goes, can you? <laughs> I'd say no, you know. You know, like, some, I remember him saying once, oh, Dad, you can lift up our car, can't you? I'm like, man, I can't do that. The other day I was watching cricket and Sebastian says to me, oh, Dad, did you play for Australia? <laughs> watching the Tour de France the other night and Sebastian said, did you ride in the Tour de France? And he was devastated when I said no. <laughs> like, you know, um, but often it's the other way around for us adults, isn't it? Like we expect way too little from Jesus. Oh, I often do. But Jesus is at work in the world. He is alive and well, gathering people to himself. We can ask Jesus, are you in control of all things, Jesus? Yes, I am. Can you reconcile the greatest of my enemies to yourself? Yes, I can do that. Can you keep me secure in this life certain of the next? Absolutely. There is no moment of disappointment in Jesus. The more we know him, the bigger he gets, the humbler we become, the more he can do. Jesus is bigger than we can imagine. So my final question tonight is, do we know this big Jesus? Will we preach this big Jesus? Will we live for him and proclaim him as a church? And I hope we would say a resounding yes. And let me pray as we close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. Uh, we join with Paul in praising you tonight, Father, for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom all things were made and for whom all things find their meaning and purpose in. Father, we do pray, Father, that you would excite us by who Jesus is and what he can do, that, Father, you would change us, grow in our hearts and our minds a bigger Jesus um, for our good and for the joy of this city. Father, help us as we step into this next phase of our church life here at North Adelaide. Help us to hold on to Jesus. Help us to hold out Jesus. Father, help us to be a community of Jesus Christ, founded on who he is, not based on our performance. Father, grow in us Christ confidence rather than self-confidence. And Father, by your Spirit, send us out. Father, we pray that you would connect us to the communities around us. Father, we pray for the 150,000 people in a 10-minute drive of our church. We pray that, Father, you would be kind and merciful to save some. And would you use us in that, we pray. So, Father, we commit ourselves, we commit our church. Uh, we pray with thanks that you are building your church. We ask that, Father, you would use us in that project. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. 
We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.